Hey y'all, welcome back to Let's Be Blunt, a podcast where me, your host, Cheyenne, talks about a whole lot of everything and I smoke a little too. If you're new here, welcome. This is an 18 and up podcast. I do cuss a lot and I do talk about a lot of blunt topics, so that is your one and only warning. Um, If you're not new here, welcome back. Thank you for continuing to support my podcast. It really does mean the world. Um... This episode, I know I was supposed to be doing the Evolution of Hip Hop East Coast, but the more and more I get into my comments and DMs, y'all really want, before I go farther into the series, a overall history of hip hop. Um, so when you guys listen to the series, listen to this one first, and then go ahead and listen to the East Coast one and one and a half, because then it'll make more sense about the flow of hip-hop, how it came about. I'm going to go into a lot of time and dates kind of a thing, like yearly goals in hip-hop that's been happening. Um, So this might be a little bit of a long episode, but y'all really wanted this episode before I go into more sectioned-off groups of the country. Um, So yeah, enjoy the free cicadas you hear in the background because they decided they wanted to be a part of this podcast too. Um, as always, my social medias are in my link tree. They're also in my bio of my podcast as well. So go ahead and check that out. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. I do try to post every Wednesday, um, and I'm on all social medias. So go ahead and follow. Now, let's talk about hip-hop. Okay, there's four general types when you think about hip-hop. You have DJing, which is, you know, record players, DJ, turntables, stuff of that nature. You have rapping, which is rhythmic vocal rhyming, if we're being descriptive, okay? You have graffiti, which I know really isn't considered rap anymore because of, or isn't considered hip-hop, sorry, isn't considered hip-hop really because most people think of hip-hop, they think of just spoken songs, When graffiti really is one of the first pioneers of showing hip-hop to the world, showing hip-hop to the streets, people expressing themselves. Um, Breakdancing, you have to consider a form of hip-hop. The dancing and attitude style that came with breakdancing really did influence the way rappers have stage presence, okay? Now, when you think about hip-hop, I'm breaking it down into three different categories. Old school, new school, and 21st century. Now, these groups are decades long. They're not just simple groups. Earliest hip-hop influences I've come to see come and spread from New York, come from the Bronx, come from things of that nature. Now, that being said, when you talk about the West Coast, a lot of up north artist came down to the west coast it was really hard for me to find um original artists from the west coast unless you're coming from south america kind of vibes now i'm gonna go into a time chart really quick and bear with me this time chart is long as fuck but it's a lot of i feel like key important parts when you talk about the history of hip-hop in general. So I'm going to take it back to 1925. I know which is a really early for his top, his hip-hop common knowledge, okay? Most hip-hop common knowledge starts around the 60s, 
70s, definitely the 80s and 90s type vibes, okay? 1925, there was a dancer named Earl Tucker who brought the first moves of really break dancing or b-boy dancing to the culture here in the U.S., okay? We're going to jump from 1925 to 1962. Um, if you know anything about James Brown, he had a really, f- or James Brown, sorry, he had a really famous drummer named Clayton. If you listen to the songs Live at Apollo, if you listen to the drum beat in particular, the song Live at Apollo by James Brown really does have good fundamental beats that a lot of DJs and a lot of MCs will take into fruition here in the coming years I'm about to discuss. Also, in 1969, James Brown came out with the song Sex Machine and Funky Drummer. Both had huge percussion and hip-hop influences in it. It wasn't technically, it, it wasn't technically called hip-hop because, you know, James Brown is not what people commonly think of hip-hop. But like I said, the percussion beats in it are widely known as hip-hop beats. 1970, hip-hop really appears in the Bronx for the first time. Um, you got 1973, DJ, DJ Cool Herc um, doing his first DJing show. And DJ Cool Herc is really one of the godfathers, I would say, of hip-hop and DJing. Um, in 1975, DJ Cool Herc and Pressure Lovebug Starkey, which is another huge MC DJ of the time, um, coined the, the term hip-hop on the East Coast. Now, when I give you dates and times of these events, please do your own research, please do your own knowledge. If you find something I haven't mentioned or am wrong about in my times, please DM me, because I'll gladly mention it in the next thing. But that being said, I'm going to continue with my timeline here. So, 1974, hip-hop was coined, you feel me? 1975, DJ Grand Wizard invents the record scratch. Now, if you don't know who DJ Grand Wizard is, please do some research. His record scratching ability is like no one else. Um, It's a deep level of talent that it takes to do things like this. And for record, please don't go out and go scratch your fucking vinyl records. It takes a certain record. It takes a certain device to do that. Please don't fuck up your records, okay? (laughs) Had to make that clear. 1976, um, DJ Bomb... Oh, yeah, I did write that right. Sorry, DJ Bombata, African DJ, and Disco King Mario, Mario, sorry, um, had their first DJ battle. Now, up to this point... DJs were coming more into fruition, but it wasn't on the sense of, how do I phrase this? So we're not on producer yet, okay? So we're still in, like, DJ battles kind of a thing. So, like, one dude plays a beat, other dude plays a beat, club goes wild type shit, all right? 1978, the term rap music um, really turned DJs more into MCs. MCs are not the same as producers. We'll go into that a little bit later. But DJs and MCs were a little bit different. DJs were more, the early stages of DJs were more quiet, more on their beat type shit. You didn't really hear from them. MCs really started to get involved more with the rap artists, the rap, trying to bring more people. It wasn't just them on a stage getting it fucking down, you feel me? Like, they really were introducing people. They were really hyping up the crowd for the artist that was coming out, okay? 
I'm going to jump from 78 to 83 real quick. Ice-T Pioneers rapping the West Coast and Michael Jackson moonwalks, okay? The reason Ice-T was so drastic in the culture of West Coast hip-hop because he really made the sound that most people think about when they think about hardcore West Coast hip-hop, you know? Michael Jackson moonwalking at this point was... A huge deal in general because no one has thus far done it to that scale and to that excellency as Michael Jackson. So, but moonwalking was always a a, a dance that was around since the b-boy era, since the fucking getting crunk on the side of the street type shit. You feel me? Moonwalking has always been a thing, but no one really brought it to fruition or brought it to the level that it was until Michael Jackson um, 1984, Run DMC made $3.5 million at the Fresh Fresh concert, which Run DMC, you know, is one of those bands or one of those groups that really combined rap and rock of the time. Um, so keep that in mind. That was a different kind of rap that came to fruition that really was life-changing for people in the 80s. 1985, Salt and Peppers. Their first female rap group. I'm going to say the first female rap group to really hit the stage running. Because you do have Lauren Hill that comes a little bit later. But that is a different kind of vibe. But not the same as Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper gives me very much raunchy um, influences of Little Kim later on type people, you know. Salt and Pepper really was the first female rap group in 1985 that really hit the stage and hit the stage running. You got 1986, the Beastly Boys got signed to ILL. Now, this is a big deal because I'll discuss them a little bit later, but Beastly Boys really was the first white, quotation marks, white group to really hit the rap scene. Um, 1987, Public Enemy races Yo, Bum Rush the Show, which if it's 2023, if you don't know who Public Enemy is, please, please do your research, especially in the African American communities. Pub, I'll discuss this a little bit later, but Public Enemy really was the first rap group to bring up African American struggles and political views in a certain kind of way. I'll go into it in a minute, though. 1989, you got Manhattan Group, A Tribe Called Quest, released um, No One Can Do It Better. A Tribe Called Quest is one of those rap groups that gives very much technically techno vibes and computer kind of rap. Um, they did it really well. Really good band to listen to. Um, 1991, NWA sells 1 million copies of Niggas for Life. In the first week, mind you, in the first week. NWA changed the rap game forever as far as what they were saying to the people. Okay. NWA was a, if you don't know, is a group that had guys that were from the lowest of lowest hoods. You feel me? NWA built itself out of Comp. I would say it built itself out of Compton. That's what I'm going to say. Even though not everybody was from Compton in the group. Now, them selling that 1 million copies in 1991 is fucking crazy. Okay, and the first week, let alone. So just imagine how many sales um, 
this has done. 1992, Dr. Dre's album The Chronic goes multi-platinum, and Wu-Tang Clan releases 36 Chambers. Now, at this point, Dr. Dre's been in the game for a minute, um, but The Chronic hit differently because um, you have Eminem on The Chronic, you have a few other people, but the way it was written and produced was like no other album at the time. Um, so going multi-platinum is not shocking. Wu-Tang Clan released in 36 Chambers, which if you haven't listened to that, Wu-Tang Clan gets the same vibe from Public Enemy almost in the way they, and what they're talking about, okay? 1995, Queen Latifah wins a Grammy Award um, for the best rap solo performance. And this is the first woman, as far as my knowledge or research goes, to get a Grammy for a solo rap performance. Now, probably a lot of the people that listen to my podcast or even the younger generation probably does not know Queen Latifah was a rapper. I need y'all to do better because amazing... Woman is an amazing singer, actress, mogul in general. But rapping is something that she does in particular well. Um, so please get on that. 1996, Tupac was shot. Um, and Jay-Z released an album and got two Grammys in the number one spot, okay? Now, you're probably wondering why I have not mentioned Tupac up to this point until he got shot in 96, but... I will discuss him and Biggie and Death Row and Bad Boy a little bit later in this episode. So, just so you know, 1996, Tupac got shot. Try to imagine all the work him and Biggie have done thus far in the rap, okay? 1997, Biggie was shot. Missy Elliott released Super Duper Fly. Now, Biggie being shot the year after Tupac was shot was another thing that hit the U.S. a whole different perspective um missy elliott releasing super duper fly missy elliott at the time was really i would say paved the way for people like nikki paved the way for people like cardi paved the way because she wasn't on a little kim level and let me give little kim respect before i run her through this dirt real quick because little kim was a great lyricist and artist and performer okay But Missy Elliott, I feel like, has to have more respect because of the way she presented herself. She was a rapper, you feel me? She wasn't some girl on the stage throwing her coochie in the air, throwing her ass and titties in people's faces, you know, being a rapper. Missy Elliott had lyricism. Not saying Little Kim didn't, but there's a difference in the way Missy Elliott presented herself and Super Duper Fly that really... Change the way the next generation of rappers is coming to fruition. 1998, um, which is the best year ever because it's the year I was born. Um, Lauryn Hill's solo album wins five Grammys and 11 Grammy nominations. Lauryn Hill is an amazing singer, okay? Would I call her a rapper? Yeah, I have to. But I feel like her music is on borderline of spoken word, um, of poetry. So it is all rap, yes, but it's just a different kind of form. 1998, Eminem sells 4 million copies of the Slim Shady LP. Now, when you talk about Eminem, you have to give the dude his credit for what he does and what he's done. 
and how he's changed the rap industry, okay? There's a reason Eminem has as many sales as he does. There's a reason, you feel me? Um, dude's been doing his shit for a long time. That being said, Dr. Dre did help his career. Now, a lot of hardcore rap listeners that I know often tell me that without Dr. Dre, Eminem wouldn't have been shit. And I disagree. Someone would have seen his talent or he would have pushed on and been the talented person he is, regardless of without Dr. Dre. But Dr. Dre did thoroughly push this man's career, okay? 2000, Dr. Dre sued Napstar, <coughs> which if you don't know who, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, now that I think of it, Napstar, Napstar, however you pronounce it, when Dr. Drew, Dr. Dre sued them in 2000, it, I feel like it really opened up people to realize that Dr. Dre is not only a producer, he's not only a rapper, this dude is a fucking mogul. If you didn't know that when he did The Chronic or even before The Chronic, like, this, I feel like him suing this s- sealed that deal for Dr. Dre. 2003, Eminem says the N-word and feds raid and investigate the Murder, Inc. Now, I can't even tread lightly around this conversation. Um, I feel like it is 2023. You cannot let a word make you angry okay they're just words people talk shit every day people say things every day people are always going to speak their mind whether you think it's the correct thing to say or not when it comes to the n-word i say it because it's the hood i grew up in it's the way i was raised it's the people i'm around i can't change the way i talk to make someone else feel happy and safe. I don't give a fuck. All right. Now I've said this in other podcasts. If someone comes up to me and goes, Hey, Cheyenne, I don't like you using that word. Say less, homie. I'm not, I'm definitely about to change my vocabulary around you because you came up to me as a person and told me you don't like that. Until that happens, I'm going to speak the way I fucking speak. All right. So Eminem saying the N word, you have to understand where he grew up the people he was around, the culture he was engulfed in. That man was a nigga at the end of the day. Like, come on now. He should be able to say whatever the fuck he wants to say if it hurts your feelings, oh well. Now the feds invading Murder, Inc. You have the the big jump in record labels or record companies coming around this time, okay? There's, you got Bad Boy Records, you got Death Row, you got... I-L-L, you got fucking Murder, Inc. There's plenty of, I can go into for days, okay? Now, this was a big deal because you got to think about what was happening with Death Row and Bad Boy Records, how people were getting shot and killed, like the investigations that was going down with Suge Knight. We'll go into that in a minute. But 2004, Dr. Dre gets punched at the Vibe Awards ceremony. If you haven't seen that video... That is hilarious to me. That is probably more funny than um, Will Smith smacking Chris Rock. Because, like, Dr. Dre is a big man. The fact that he got punched like that is wild. 2004, Vibe Awards. Check it out. Now, 2018, Jay-Z, first rapper to headline the Glastonbury, um, which is a big deal because... 
It's the largest arts and music festival in the world. Okay, this happened in 2008. It was Jay-Z, headlined first rapper. Huge. Now the whole world is really seeing Jay-Z first off on a bigger scale than just MTV, on a bigger scale than just his records. Jay-Z is really getting shown to the world as some... At uh, the beginning of his mogul, the beginning of his really height of his career type shit. Um, 2010, Nicki Minaj releases Pink Friday. Now, up to this point, Nicki Minaj has been releasing other albums, huge albums, might I add. But Pink Friday in 2010 was really a huge, a huge jump in her career, a huge platform of how many platinum albums she had. Um, and I'm gonna make a jump to 2018. Kanye West released his eighth studio album. Now I've could have mentioned Kanye West and any of these other any of these other timelines, but I specifically mentioned him in 2018 with his eighth album because graduation's already been done, um, college dropouts already been done, so he's already been produced a blueprint like. At this point in Kanye's West career, he's really turning from more of an artist rapper into a producer, okay? So he really opens up ways for producing from 2018 down. Um, not saying there weren't producers. You know, you got Puffy with Biggie. You got um, Jermaine Dupri at this time. Like, there's plenty of big-name producers that are doing this. But I feel like 2018 was really the switch in Kanye's career, um, that led him more into studio, studio album producing and also making better records for himself. Now, <laughs> now that I got that out of the fucking way, I want to talk about the little breakdown of pioneers and main people that should be mentioned from each old school, new school, and 21st century. Now, the Pioneers are old school. You have to mention Grandmaster Flash, um, Furious Five, Curtis Blow, Cold Crush Brothers, um, Cool Herrick, you know, Sugar Hill Gang, stuff of that nature. A lot of MCs, a lot of DJs in the old school, okay? Think about b-boy, think about breakdancing, things of that nature. When you jump to new school, I'm talking about mid-1980s, okay? Um, you got a lot of African-American trio um, run at DMC. Um, which fueled, like I said earlier, the rap and the rock. You got Def Jam record label that really came out that um, changed the... Def Jam record is a huge label. If you haven't heard of that, they've, they're have they still around. They're still doing things to this day. So please look into that. You have to mention LL Cool J, Ladies Lover Cool J. Like, he's the first rap romanticist of the African-American hip-hop scene. Because in the West Coast, there's plenty of Latin hip-hop, there's plenty of Latin stuff outside of the U.S. that was rapping romantic-sized shit, okay? But Ladies Lover Cool J, he was really the first rapper that all the ladies fell for. When you got, you got a thing next to Nas, you got a thing next to, why can't I think of another rapper? Um, but Beastly Boys, again, we have to mention them because the first rap group popularized digital like sampling. So when you think about digitalized sampling, you have to... Really look at today's hip-hop artists because everything's sampled. Everything's on computers. Nobody out here scratching records no more, at least not often. You feel me? No one has a full-course band behind them and shit actually playing it. We could just scratch and sample records nowadays. So that being said, Beastly Boys really was the 
group that popularized the digital sampling. Um, Public Enemy, again, invested rap with radical black political... Political... Damn, that's a really hard word. Um, Sorry, invested rap with radical black politics and ideology of that time. Um, Again, think of Wu-Tang Clan. Think of the way they... They almost storytell, but they're speaking real ass shit. Like, they're speaking about struggles, they're speaking about politics, they're speaking about a lot of things, a lot of households, a lot of sad shit, but they're also speaking facts. So please listen to their stuff. You gotta think about Queen Latifah, Salt and Pepper, Missy Elliott paved the way for many female rap artists. Um, you got Nikki, Cardi, Snow the Product. Like, a lot of female rap artists nowadays... Paved the Way, worked by Queen Latifah, Salt and Pepper, and Missy Elliott. You have to mention DJ um, Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith because even when Fresh Prince came out and they were on some rap shit every once in a while, they made albums together beforehand. Um, Two Live Crew, MC Hammer, those... I would say MC Hammer is a different vibe because he really brought back the more beat boy... Um, hip-hop jump kind of house feel um, to his music. Let's go into the Biggie versus Tupac versus Death Row and Bad Boy Records. Let's let's talk about this for a minute. Biggie and Tupac, well, Tupac really started his music first, all right? He was a little bit older than Biggie. Let's get into that first off. Biggie had his own style, though. Him and Tupac worked together for a good amount of time before they went to their separate ways, you feel me? Now, Tupac is associated with Death Row Records, and Biggie is associated with Bad Boy Records, okay? Once Tupac was shot, their friendship went downhill very quickly, and I'm going to tell you why, because I definitely think Someone in Bad Boy Records set up Biggie to make him look bad when Tupac got shot as some rivalry shit in order to boost sales. Because there was no other reason, really, for them to be beefing the way they was stabbing people, killing people, all for some record. It's not that deep. And I think Tupac and Biggie understood that. You have people like Snoop from Death Row Records. Everybody knows who Snoop Dogg is. But Snoop Dogg was really the binder trying to make people see that it's just about music. It's not about no gang shit. It's not about none of this shit. Y'all just beefing because you're brainwashed, because he's telling you to type shit. Um, When Biggie died, though, I feel like... Well, even before Biggie died, when Tupac released Hit Him Up, it really changed the whole dynamic as far as what Biggie was putting out. Because Biggie was then putting out a whole bunch of, you know, fuck Death Row type shit. It was just an unnecessary process that didn't have to be done. Could have saved a lot of lives by not doing that shit. Um, By keeping Suge Knight in jail, he could have saved a lot of lives. I'm just saying. Um, Let's talk about record labels a little bit more. Dr. Dre's Interscope Records is a huge record label that I feel like has changed many artists' life. And I was doing the research and realizing how much money Dr. Dre has made off this record label is fucking astounding. 
um, all the artists that I get signed onto it also get stock and the bonuses and stuff like that into the company. So it's just a never ending company that invests deeply. Um, it's pretty dope. So look into Interscope Records if you ever get a chance to look into Dr. Dre's history some more. Um, that being said, that covers my new school. Let's talk about 21st century. Now, 21st century is a long time, okay? It's, I would say 21st century is Luda, 50 Cent, Lil Wayne, uh, Kanye got Post Malone, which I have to mention, um, Juice World, Cardi, Mr. Drizzy Rascal, um, who's in London, oh, sorry, MC Drizzy Rascal, who's in London, um, you got Drake, Nicki, you could go on and on and on about 21st century rap, okay? The thing that separates 21st century rap from the new school and especially from the old school is the computer it takes to make these beats, the systems we have, the way we record, um, and the stuff we talk about, okay? So you have people like Lil Wayne um, who really changed the rap game as far as he wasn't your... I mean, when he first started, let me rephrase that. When he first started rap, he was that typical long t-shirt, baggy-ass shorts kind of rapper. The more he evolved into his rap identity, he started to change up his look into more of a rocker rap, which if you know anything about Lil Wayne, he really, that's what he wanted to do from the jump was rock, but he didn't have the voice for it. Anyways, Luda, you got T.I., um... People of that caliber, Waka Flocka, like, I ain't go on for names for days, right? Really, I think brought more of not label rivalry, but brought more of, oh, we the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, South Coast, like, from ATL type shit. Like, they brought more of stately rivalry. Um, It brought into the fact, you know, Often Luda and T.I., and then you had, how do I phrase this? You had Chance the Rapper up north claiming Chicago. You know, you have J. Cole now claiming North Carolina. You see me? You feel me? So it's different than the new school rap where we were claiming labels. You feel me? If you didn't have a label, you ain't shit. Nowadays, rap is, you know, you could pave your own way if you have the skills, if you know the people, if you know the right connections, you can make it in any industry you want to, regardless if it's rap or hip-hop. So when we think of hip-hop or when people should think of hip-hop, think of more of, I feel like hip-hop is poetry, hip-hop is spoken word, hip-hop is getting your feelings off of paper, but not necessarily in a riot kind of form. Rap, they didn't care who they they pissed off. They didn't care what they were saying. They were getting their point across. You know, hip-hop and rap are two different things, but they have to form into one coherent thing, if that makes sense. Um, I hope this answers all your questions. I know a lot of people want me to go into current hip-hop, And I just, I don't know. Once I get through this series of the East versus the South versus the North versus the West Coast kind of vibe, I might take a break. Um, 
from hip-hop because there's a lot of things I want to discuss. There's a lot of other genres I want to discuss, and I want to keep it pushing for real, for real. Um, but shit, I might let y'all, I might let y'all know. That being said, I love y'all. Stay safe. Till next time.